All right, good to have you here. Pastor Matt is in the States with his wife's family. He is doing fine out there, and uh, I am covering for him. And then right after, I whip to Renfrew, and right after Renfrew, I'm whipping to Manitoba for a month. And so I will be gone for a while recuperating. You know, there might be someone here gifted in interpreting dreams, because I woke up, and by the way, when your wife's had a major surgery and the muscles and all that in the chest, don't make her laugh too hard. I had her laughing this morning, and I shouldn't have, but I was trying to get her to figure out, what do you think this dream means? I woke up with this vivid dream, and here I am traveling through the mountains in a winter time, three of us on a DeWalt table saw. And the three of us are sliding down, and the only problem is we had to carry it to walk up the hills, and it was taking us really long, and the DeWalt saw was turned on, so I said, be careful where you put your hands. I'm going to go, yeah, I, that, that got me. I had no idea where I was going to go with that dream, but I got a long ride ahead to try and interpret it. Um, so I packed for our trip very quickly yesterday. I'm one of these people that can just, whatever. It'll work. I'll wear that for 20 days straight. I have no problem out in the cabin. But I did have to throw in one particular piece of clothing that I've had with me. Well, if you saw pictures of me in high school, I might have been wearing it. That's how long I've had this baby. It is a orange hoodie. It has become my comfort blanket. I love this thing. My wife over the years has tried to make it disappear, but it has not worked. In fact, I told her, I said, honey, on the day of my funeral, just put it on me. I'll be comfortable in the casket with that. I'll be fine. And she wasn't too happy about going in that direction. Now, I did find out the practice of actually putting objects in coffins is actually starting to come back. They used to do it in ancient days for, you know, you see the coins on the eyes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but there's photographs and jewelry and teddy bears and the likes are being placed in coffins, more so they say. And on one occasion, a crematorian officer uh, said that a widow actually placed two cans of spray adhesive in the casket that he had used to paste on his toupee. Interesting. The problem was that it kind of caused an explosion and bent the furnace doors, so it wasn't a good idea. Now, I say this because if there's ever a moment in our lives when we seek comfort or hope, uh, it would be in the face of funeral or death, or uh, when people are close to death's doors or experience something, then, then we look for something called hope. And hope, broken down to its most simple state, is simply, I want something to happen. I'm hopeful. I want something to happen. And typically, living is a good thing that most of us want. We want it to happen. But, That's why whenever we encounter things that are tough, struggles and trials, we create this hope within us. And that led me to a verse a few weeks back that God had brought to me in the mornings of my devotion, Romans 5, verse 5. And uh, I won't have slides today because I wrote most of this message this morning and I didn't want to bother the media people at 5 in the morning. So I warned them, they're going to get slides. Uh, Old school. So, Romans 5, 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
And as I read this verse that morning, I remember the first thing I thought is, well, I, I didn't really understand, well, what about hope that would be related to shame? And hope does not put us to shame. And I says, what's the correlation? How were they connected? See, most of us understand shame. You know, when we've done something really dumb and that we are ashamed of, those moments in our lives that we regret, we wish we could take back. But in fact, hope is exactly that. We want better. We want better for what we have done or what we are encountering. We want to be able to say things like, I hope they like me. I hope he or she likes me. I hope he finishes preaching on time. And I say, I hope they forgive me. <laughs> see, those, that, that's what happens. I want something better. It's this hope that sometimes is the only thing keeping us moving in the right direction. It's the reason sometimes we get up and say, okay, I will take on another day because I have a glimmer of hope. Because I'm hoping things will change. And so the verse reads, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. See, love at its heart is about hope. This verse, when you read the context around Romans 5, is all in the middle of issues surrounding struggle and trials and suffering. In fact, the verse reads almost like a soft but a very urgent voice, like someone trying to talk someone off the ledge of a building. And they're saying, don't give up. There's hope. Hope will not let you down. Honor is waiting for you on the other side of this pain that you are walking through. Honor that says to you, you still matter. You are being seen. You are known by someone. Press on. And that's why the verse just following this one says suffering will produce perseverance. Perseverance will produce character. Character then says will give way to a hope that cannot be shaken. And it is this hope that does not put us to shame, for it is a hope inspired by God himself. See, the hope is the greatest thing we can have in a time of struggle. Hope is required when I am weak, when I am down, when I am struggling. Hope is nothing to be fearful or ashamed of. We need hope. Just look at hopelessness. When hope is almost lost completely. Hopelessness can be described as just utter despair. There's no expectation of any success in that person's mind. It's, it's characterized by the very lack of hope or optimism or any passion. And when people reach this point, we have darkness. And in this place, one begins to perceive oneself or others or our circumstances or life itself as distorted, as wrong. It's not clear anymore. So we lose interest in life. We lose interest in people. We lose interest in ourselves. Everything becomes blasé. It's pointless. Now I have to ask when I see the atrocities again committed and what people can go and how far they can go, I say, well, how is that possible? But I think it's because we don't understand the grip of hopelessness. And that's why a verse later in Romans 5, 6, Paul says, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. One author wrote, there are no hopeless situations. 
There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Our days with COVID have heightened that as we look around us. Looming problem of not only loneliness but hopelessness. Mental and emotional health has skyrocketed. The anger that surfaces on people's jaws. My wife does not want to go back to WestJet and face the people. She literally has broken down with the anger vented. Motivation is limited. Despair is rising. We need hope. And hope motivates, it helps us achieve goals to move forward, especially through difficult days. It opens doors, it has the capacity to sustain us during the dark days. It serves as a catalyst to begin to uncover forgotten promises and truths and strengths that are there for us. For us just to see that there's possibilities Hope is why we have cures for so many things in the first place. Hope is why we have groundbreaking technology. But more importantly, hope is why we can overcome powerlessness. And it's not in anything or any circumstance simply changing. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. His life, his sacrifice demonstrated as well the greatest act of this love that God provides that's possible. So there is no shame in hoping in love. You and I were created for that love. We were fashioned by love. We were made to receive and to give love. And this love came at a cost. We know that. And so but in that, you need to understand that God understands suffering. And he says it's not the end of the road. It's not a guarantee of hopelessness. In fact, hope builds strength. I I, I can't help but always go back to the children of Israel. I know we often do, but it's an incredible place where, again, I just look at it, and I'm a practical guy, and I'm always trying to put myself in the place of these people. I'm going, okay, they're, they're like 400 years of slavery. That's all they've known. They have this storied history. They have Scripture that talks about a God and, and all this promises but they haven't lived it they haven't experienced it it's only stories gone by and generation after generation they don't hear from god they don't see evidence of god they just have to live in this existence of no country of their own but then along comes moses and there's a there's a glimmer of hope that begins to mushroom into this full-blown ecstatic joy that is presented to them right to the point that one day they're actually million strong walking out of egypt and they have the riches from egypt and they're headed to the promised land and they go oh my goodness hope Hopelessness is no longer there. We have hope. We have a place to go. Fast forward, supposed to be a few years, but again, people, you know the problems. They end up traveling a little longer than expected, but one day they end at the boundaries of the promised land. There it is. Here's our hope. Here's our own place. Here God has come and demonstrated His presence. We've seen it. We heard it. We still doubt it once in a while, but it's here. So they go, okay, guys, here, let's send out a group of spies. Let's check out our 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 new hood what's in the hood for our neighborhood and so we read in numbers 13 26 they came back to moses and aaron after they scoped out the land and all of israelite and the community were there and they reported to them to the whole assembly and they showed them they were carrying the grapes they showed them the fruit of the land And they gave Moses this account. We went, we went into the land in which you sent us. And oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. 
In other words, it was as God promised. Great. And then the very next word in the verse, but, (laughs) it's always a but. But the people who live there, hmm, they're powerful. Cities, they're fortified and large. Now, you can say, okay, Israel's experienced in hopelessness. They just left 400 years of it, so I guess they knew it when they saw it, and they come up against them. But you know what? This time, not everyone signed up to the pity party. There was a couple spies that kind of said, no, hold on here a little minute. So we read in verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, wait, hold on, we should go up and take possession of the land for, I love this, we can certainly do it. Well, what was the difference? People caught up in hopelessness. People who still had hope. What did they have hope in? Their numbers? Their abilities? No, we read in the next chapter 14, verse 6, Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who explored the land, they tore their clothes because they're really ticked off at all these whiners and complainers. And they said to the entire assembly, they said, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and He will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection, they said, is gone, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. See, that's hope. Hope creates courage. Hope defeats fear. Hopelessness distorts it. What did the other spies say? Go back to chapter 13 of Numbers, verse 31. I've always loved this verse. They go, wow, all the people we saw there were of great size. Talking Goliath size here. And he says, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. I love that part, in our own eyes. Distortion hopelessness we're bugs these guys are going to squash us that's what hopelessness does in this place of darkness how we perceive ourselves how we perceive others everyone's comments somehow is a, a hit against me in some way because everything is distorted we're not hearing clearly we're not seeing clearly god becomes distorted we can't separate what we're going through with the god we believe and soon they become the same god must be weak God's existence, even His love for me, never depends on my good health. It never depends on the ease at which I can live life. In fact, if anything, as I read through the Scripture, more often than not, God says, I'm going to use life, I'm going to use suffering, I'm going to use pain and struggling, and I'm going to use that to draw you to me, for you to depend on me. It's in his plans. What do we read about Jesus Christ in Hebrews 12 too? Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. See, that's something you don't have to joy set before, endured the cross. God isn't saying, okay, put on blinders and just somehow deny bad things. 
It's impossible to be happy when you're walking through trials. It's impossible to be happy when you suffer pain. But it's not impossible to experience joy. See, that goes way deeper. Internal hope in God can give you a satisfaction to grow through some of the greatest trials you will ever face. Face the greatest enemies you will ever come up against. One can grow through stress if we've cultivated joy in a relationship with God. If we develop a relationship with God apart from what is happening around us, then we may be able to hang on to those physical realities when they break down. We can learn to trust God even in what appears to be the unfairness of life. Isn't that the message of Job? Joy is one of the fruits of the spirits. Happiness is not. Hebrews 12.3 says, Consider him, talking about Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners. And he says, Consider that so why? So that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Keep looking at that. In fact, the verses that follow in Hebrews, a lot of people want to skim over. We don't like to hear these verses because it says the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. And in verse, it says in verse 7, endure hardships as discipline. In verse 12, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. See, if happiness was our goal, if that's all that we were meant to be is be happy when we die, well, then I get the frustration when things don't go our way. But that isn't our goal. God put a few other things as vital importance in light of eternity. By the way, in Mount Sinai and all their wilderness, you know, when God's guarantees of physical success and feeding them and health and prosperity and all these military victories, do you realize that did nothing to help the spiritual growth of the Israelites? They still struggled. That's why they ended up wandering so many years. You look at Scripture and the heroes of the Bible and people like Abraham and Joseph and David and Elijah and Daniel and Jeremiah and the Apostle Paul, they all went through trials like Job. And for each of them, at times, it sure appeared like somehow God was becoming the enemy. What is going on here? But each managed to hold on to a trust in God despite the hardships. Because they built a relationship and in doing so, faith moved from this contract faith. I'll believe in you if life goes easy. To a relationship that could transcend anything that came their way. Even as Hebrews tells us, many of them didn't ever receive what was promised them while they lived on this side of the grave. Was life fair for Jesus? I love what one man did in the context of losing his wife in an accident. He said, for me, the cross demolished for all time the basic assumption that life will be fair. Jesus offered flesh and blood proof of how God feels about unfairness. And sometimes I think as churches, if we would just spend a little more time following the model of Jesus, ministering to those who are suffering and to the sick, feeding the hungry, resisting the powers of evil, comforting those who mourn, bringing the good news of love and forgiveness, then maybe if we're caught up in that, we wouldn't be so caught up in always wondering, why is life seem unfair to me? Hopelessness can turn to hope. 
Author Henry Nouwen tells the story of a family he knew in Paraguay. The father, who was a doctor, spoke out against the military regime at that time, especially with regards to the human right abuses that were going on. So the local police decided to take their revenge out on his teenage son, and they tortured him to death. Enraged, like we often see in the news these days, the townspeople wanted to protest by turning the boy's funeral into this huge protest march. But the doctor had another means of protest. At the funeral, the father displayed his son's body as he had found it in the jail. Naked, scarred from electric shocks, cigarette burns, the beatings. All the villagers filed past the corpse, not in a casket, on the same mattress that was in the prison. Blood soaked. It was the strongest protest imaginable. It put injustice on grotesque display. Isn't that what God did at Calvary? The cross that held Jesus' body marked with scars exposed all the violence and injustice this world can do. The cross reveals what kind of world we live in, but it also revealed what kind of God we have. A world of gross unfairness, a God of incredible, sacrificial love. Philip Yancey wrote, No one is exempt from tragedy or disappointment. God himself was not exempt. Jesus offered no immunity, no way out of unfairness, but rather a way through it to the other side. Frederick Buckner wrote, To be commanded to love God at all, let alone in the wilderness, is like being commanded to be well when we are sick, to sing for joy when we are dying of thirst, to run when our legs are broken. But this is the first and the great commandment nonetheless, even in the wilderness, especially in the wilderness. You shall love him. I'm going to close with the words of the Apostle Paul, again, writing to those who have walked through so much in believing, experiencing the hope, but then sometimes falling back and seeing the hopelessness. So he writes them in Hebrews 10, beginning at verse 32, to encourage them. And he says, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you endured a great conflict full of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults, persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not, he writes, throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. That's hope. You feel hopeless I can't offer much. I can sit, talk, you can see counselors, but you need the person of Jesus Christ. You need a relationship and the depth of one 
that will take you through anything that comes your way. Doesn't promise that the problems disappear like we do here preached once in a while. No, no, no. It gives us hope and strength and love and an inner joy that will help us make through it, regardless of what happens. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your love, your graciousness, your promises. They're overwhelming at times, and for many of us, sometimes we can't even grasp it. I know maybe a year ago I would never have said these words because I don't know if I believed them then. I do now. And I praise you, God, for that hope that you've instilled in my life and you continue to build and grow. And I pray for everyone here who is walking through any pain, which typically will be every one of us at some point. May we never lose sight of who you are, what you have offered and given us, and the hope that we have in a relationship with you through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the love poured into our lives through the Holy Spirit. We praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.